It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. It's uh, seven minutes after eight, and this is the Forum at 8 on AM Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, yesterday, uh, quite a number of you actually wrote to us requesting that we essentially look at South Africa's foreign policy following uh, the fallout between the Tuane mayor and uh, the African National Congress over that trip to Taiwan. Now, President Jacob Zuma will be meeting with representatives from all spheres of government to discuss discuss foreign policy matters and some of you obviously you know wanting to know more about what exactly entails uh, South Africa's foreign policy position because it's not something that we readily engage in and uh, um, I-, I was really heartened by the comments that came through people saying that you know what we're going on and on about this we're offering our opinions when in fact uh, we-, we-, we need to be educated a little bit more about this before we can make informed decisions decisions. The one China policy, what does that entail? You know, um, uh, South Africa's biggest trading partner is China. uh, But uh, what does that mean for our relations with uh, other uh, regions like uh, Taiwan, uh, breakaway provinces? Because if you look at China and their policies and how they are advancing in the region, uh, how does that impact South Africa's foreign policy position? So we're looking at all of that this morning, essentially going back to class and being schooled on South Africa's foreign policy, as it were. And uh, joining us for the discussion this morning, Professor Garth Lepierre, uh, extraordinary professor at the University of Pretoria. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you. And we also have with us Professor John Stremlau from the Department of International Relations at Wits University. Thanks for your time as well, Professor Stremlau. Good morning and good morning to Garth. Hey, John, you've given Trump the slip. <laughs> well, I'm surprised that they're thinking that anyone would know anything about foreign policy from my side after my forecast on Trump. I, <laughs> <laughs> I must say that did cross my mind. <laughs> But, you know, all of that aside, I think we are so concerned right now as South Africans, you know, given the storm that's playing out, to know exactly what did the mayor of Tswane, what did Salim Simanga do wrong? Uh, but uh, in order to understand this better, I guess we need to go back to basics and try to understand exactly what South Africa's policy is with regard to uh, China and that one China policy and all that that entails. So let me start with you, Professor Le Pierre. Yes. Well, uh, you know, since, since 1971, the United Nations has recognized mainland China as the legitimate government uh, of the Chinese people. Prior to that, the Republic of China, or what is now, now known as Taiwan, since 1949, uh, held, held that position. And since 1971, the official position in international law and practice is that there is only one China, and that uh, position was given um, greater political legitimacy in 1979 uh, when the United States uh, recognized and went along and aligned its, its diplomacy with that position. So... Essentially, Solim Zimanga was not going to Taiwan as a businessman in search of business. He was going there as the new mayor of Tswane, which is a very strategic city in this country. And since 1998, South Africa has recognized China uh, in terms of international law and practice as the legitimate representative and government of the Chinese people. So in in, in legal practice and in uh, theory, Sali Nzimanga has violated a cardinal principle. And this is why, if you recall last December, there was a huge uproar outcry in the United States when President-elect Donald Trump uh, spoke to the president of Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, and even though he said, you know, it was an exchange of pleasantries and she had basically called uh, him to congratulate him uh, on being the president-elect. As far as the Chinese were concerned, this was a serious breach of protocol. No different uh, from the serious breach of protocol that Solim Zimanga is accused of. Uh, And it really, really, uh, as far as the Chinese are concerned, 
provides an early sign or the, you know early indications of the direction uh, in which uh, President-elect President -elect Trump's foreign policy is going. So, so the issue is quite serious, and uh, even though Solim Zimanga uh, was cautioned not to make the trip, he went ahead with it, and that is why you see this, this major outcry controversy. So talk to us about um, exactly what diplomatic practice he violated, because uh, people are also not clear around that. Well, you know, it, it, the, the problem in cross-trade relations is whether uh, Taiwan is an organic part of mainland China or whether it's, uh, there is a, a discourse uh, on, on the island of Taiwan that promotes its independence. And any attempt uh, by the uh, Taiwanese government to sort of enhance its legitimacy by having these official types of delegations visit Taiwan uh, does give it does give it a certain standing in in international law. Now, the official position of the government, as I said, is that there's only one China, and you know any uh, any provincial structure, any provincial delegation, uh, it has to be sanctioned by the South African government, and him going there to Taiwan in violation of that of that uh, standing practice. Uh, does not accord with the official policy of the government. Professor Stremna? I, I have a slightly different view. And first of all, Salman Samanga is no Donald Trump, that's for sure. Um, and uh, for the president-elect to, to take that call did raise profound questions about the one-China policy that the U.S. and South Africa are both strongly in support of. The Chinese are in no doubt, but I think it's worth recalling that when Nelson Mandela who delayed from 94 to 98 to, to, to recognize the one China policy and get that normalized, as is the case with the majority of African countries. I mean, only Swaziland and Burkina Faso still recognize and have diplomatic relations with Taiwan. The South African government was smart enough, in my view, shrewd enough, to keep open liaison offices with Taiwan so that we have a representative in Taipei and one in Pretoria, Swanee, is there not, uh, it's like the U.S., it has uh, commercial relations. It's not uh, political or strategic in any sense. The Chinese are not stupid. They understand very well that, the that, that, that South Africa's policy is a one-China policy. Durko did warn the mayor about this, and they could, the, the, the government could go to the Chinese and say, look, we, we know this is the case, but um, this is a mayor, and he's uh, uh, of an opposition party to us. We operate in a different political system than you do. The Chinese understand that South Africa is a democracy. It's a multicultural democracy, by the way. China is very much a, an ethnic state, a Han state with restive minorities. And the role that Taiwan plays in the world is an intriguing one, an interesting one, uh, an important one. Because it is a democracy. It does have a vibrant economy. It does have trading opportunities for South Africa. So I think that if this hadn't become so politicized in a partisan way between the DA and the ANC, it could have gone ahead, as I believe Minister of Trade and Industry in 2014 went to Taiwan, Rob Davies, didn't he, I think. Um, and, and it would have been part of the richer uh, fabric of, of foreign policy, international relations. The Chinese looked to South Africa as a leader of Africa, which it clearly was under Mbeki. I wish that if South Africa was taking more of a leadership role than the Chinese in making uh, South Africa its partner in the in the forum for Africa, South Africa, uh, I mean for Africa-China cooperation, as it did last December by having that big conference here in in, in Johannesburg, um, that would continue. But uh, but the Chinese looked to South Africa as a very different political system. And I think the South Africans could have gotten away with that with a little more diplomatic skill. I think this has been grossly exaggerated as an issue. Uh, I think I probably disagree with Garth on that. 
So um, many questions coming in from our listeners, and perhaps I should just remind them that the lines are open 0891-104-208. We're having this uh, discussion because you've asked for it. You've asked uh, for your questions to be answered, to be schooled on uh, South Africa's foreign policy position as it relates specifically to uh, the One China policy. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, Kakiso Mueng says, no need for schooling SK. Our foreign policy is simple. Please, China, add all cost, even at the detriment of our own people. Is that what's happening here, Professor Lapierre? Well, look, you know, there is an element of real politic to this relationship because it does have a history. We must recall, you know, that um, at one stage, especially after the transition in 1994, South Africa was very much considered by Taiwan to be the jewel in its diplomatic crown. And South Africa at the time thought that it could sustain a two-China policy. It would have official relations both with the mainland and with Taiwan. And that, was not, that did not accord with the principles of international diplomacy and practice. And it was only in 1998, uh, without any prompt uh, or forewarning, that President Mandela decided to downgrade relations with Taiwan uh, in favor of mainland China, you know, thereby bringing our uh, official relationships with both uh, Taiwan and China uh, uh, into alignment with what uh, was the reality in, inter- in, in, in international politics. Now, there is a sensitivity here, because since then, 19, since 1998, China has become a major player uh, politically and economically uh, in the life of this country. And the Chinese are extremely sensitive about maintaining that position. Uh, that position is, is, is particularly sensitive insofar as now uh, South Africa is China's largest trading partner, having a trips on a country-to-country basis, uh, both uh, the countries of the European Union uh, and the United States. So I can understand the sensitivity relating, uh, I think John paints a bit of, uh, a, a, a more of a rosy picture, but I think there is an element of real politic involved here, and that is why I sort of, you know, uh, align my position and my understanding with the official position in our foreign policy, and that is the one that has been articulated by the, uh, by the department uh, in relation to uh, why uh, Salim Zimanga uh, had violated an, an essential principle of protocol, just as had uh, Donald Trump uh, in the United States talking to the president of, of, of Taiwan. Mm. Zoex's question is that if South Africa considers Taiwan a province of China, are Taiwanese then not Chinese? And bearing that in mind, has Zimanga violated any protocol, uh, Professor Stremler? Well, this is a very important and tricky question, and it uh, is. Garth talks about uh, realpolitik. Uh, realpolitik is, is, is infused with values, and the the Taiwanese and the Hong Kong Chinese, um, and and the diaspora Chinese, so those in America, uh, are given sort of a different status than are say the Islamic uh, Chinese, who are still part of the mainland China but where, and this issue came up with the Dalai Lama in Tibet, as you know, a very sensitive issue with the Chinese uh, for which they uh, want to insist on one, one, one China policy and, uh, and, the, and the visa was denied to the Dalai Lama to come to uh, Bishop Tutu's uh, uh, birthday party, his birthday party. Um, how Taiwan relates to, um, to, to China is one of the more perplexing U.S. foreign policy questions, and I think it was good that... Um, that South Africa experimented with the two-China policy a bit. I think they were shrewd to go as the United States did, and, and Jimmy Carter was president when they normalized in 79 the one-China policy. And I think we can acknowledge the sensitivities the Chinese have, but it's not a closed question how China is going to function in an increasingly diverse, multicultural world. China is 92% Han, and the, the ethnic nationalism that lies beneath this post-communist, capitalist-communist hybrid authoritarian capitalism that they have there is one of the more profound questions for a country as diverse 
and as capitalistic and as democratic as South Africa is, because we're working with our experiment. So I guess my plea again is that don't treat the mayor of Swanee as you would a president-elect, case of Donald Trump, or you would the official South African policy. Durko made very clear, Clayson Monelli uh, went and said, look, we don't want you to go. And, 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 and Samanga said, okay, but he went anyway. I think we can tolerate that kind of, 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 of creative ambiguity in international relations right now when our relations in, in, a, in, a, in a globalized, socially networked world are so complex. The Chinese are sensitive, but I thought they could be handled, and they were handled. The Chinese only officially responded after seeing so much hype in our own media. Now, here, I think, if I look at the timing of the Chinese sort of saying, we're not happy with this. Um, but I, I, I appreciate Gar's point. You have to be very sensitive about Chinese sensitivities, but you manage them skillfully. That's why I admired uh, Mbeki's diplomacy so much. He was very nuanced and very skillful in his foreign policy. Professor LePierre? Well, you know, uh, I think with with with, uh, with John, we <laughs> agree to disagree. Um, but but I think you know this this is symptomatic of um, a very uh, difficult relationship, you know, uh, between the centre and the different structures of government, um, and how that is managed. I think uh, John is right that partisan politics has crept into this this debate and controversy. And maybe should have been handled handle, handled a little better, uh, but hopefully, you know, this this does then set some kind of, of precedent for other, uh, you know, local government structures to to think very carefully about how they go about conducting their own international relations and diplomacy. I would say. Well, we're taking your calls on 891 We are talking about South Africa's one-China policy and getting clarity on exactly uh, what happened uh, uh, during that trip of the Tuane Mayor Solim Simanga to Taiwan. And our guests this morning, Professors uh, Garth Lepierre and uh, John Stremlau. And Mike is calling us from Newlands. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good greetings to you, SK, and uh, to your panel. Compliments this season to everybody. I uh, must say, this is a tea in the uh, uh, storm in the teacup for today. And see, uh, I think it is a storm in a, in an oil drum for them, simply because it's highlighting the fact that China has got us by the short and curlies. When China says jump, we say how high. And I think what's hurting the ANC, it's reflecting the fact that when the that uh, Chinese are very much in control, as the Zuptas and Guptas in control of our uh, country, that uh, they, they are now having to fight it. And I think the embarrassment as well comes in in the fact that the DA have gone over there um, to uh, try and get business for us. They haven't broken any rules. The ANC has a contact officer. They did a trade relation in 2014, and they've gone over to see if they can rustle up business. The trouble for the ANC is if the DA is successful and brings back jobs, and these are honest jobs with honest workers and honest products, it's going to highlight the failure of the ANC who have lost us 4 million jobs to date, and by the end of our president's reign will have lost us 5 million jobs. We need to just keep in mind that Zuma has said the ANC comes first, the country comes second. The DA puts the country first and the ANC most definitely last, and that's what we're fighting about at the end of the day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. In Newlands, Tlolani uh, is in Umtata. Good morning. Compliment of the New Year, Sakina, and your guest. Thank you, Tlolani, to you too. Okay. Listen, I just want to introduce something maybe the your guest may also talk about. In 1990, we were, some of us were still very young. Dr. Nelson Mandela was interviewed by Ted Coppell in the United States. And one of the questions that was asked by the panels was the relationship that uh, the African National Congress had with Cuba, with uh, it, it, and all these uh, all those countries that were considered anti-America at the time. And his response was kind of simple around the issue of objectivity and the fact that people that are able to provide resources and are able to grow the African National Congress at the time, they will continue to do so. They were not going to fall to a trap of having a relationship with certain individuals and have a problem with other, with other nations. So I don't understand this time that the same African National Congress, which was led by, the, by Nelson Holisasa Mandela, who was able to build relationships with all countries that were able to have a relationship with the African National Congress. So I wish that the same people who are now challenging this fellow that visited Taiwan 
and can actually go back and listen to that interview. It's on, on YouTube. It's available. It, it was done by Nelson Mandela in 1996. Thanks so much. Klolani, Anonymous in Cape Town. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Welcome. Yes, my, my book is going to be sound very sinister. Now, the Bible talks in the Revelations about, about the prostitute. And many nations will mourn about her fall. Now, we as the past has been colonized by the West and now by the East. Now, the Bible refers to a certain country or to the certain continent as a prostitute. Now, it's the Eastern prostitution, right? Now, Africa has been robbed of minerals for centuries and over and over, but it's still happening now. Now, my point is, uh, coming to the Bible, Africa has become a prostitute of the world, being drained by minerals, left, right, and center. But now, the prostitute has been drained of her resources. Now, it's the Eastern colonization. But now, the, 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 what you can say, Africa is now the, 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 the prostitute. And now the pump is China. Now the pump is complaining because the prostitute is doing things on her own. And now China is the, is the pump of the prostitute. And the Bible, everything must come to fulfillment. And the Bible specifically referred as a certain continent. Many nations will mourn when she comes to a fall. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Anonymous in Cape Town. James is announced, spread. Good morning, James. Oh, good morning. Well, um, I, I spent a month backpacking around China. School children will tell you that communism doesn't exist in China anymore. It's basically just a, a totalitarian state. Now, I don't see how a totalitarian state is going to survive in the 20th century, 21st century, with social media, with internet connection, with traveling, with trade all over the world. Sooner or later, that thing's going to fall apart. If you watch what's happening in Hong Kong, Hong Kong, they're, 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 they're pushing for their rights. If you, if, you, if you looked at what happened at Tiananmen Square, there were over 3 million students at that protest over a six-week period. It wasn't a one-day event. Now, the only reason the communist government is still in power is because they shot their way out of Tiananmen Square. It's only a matter of time before they have similar problems. Um, the other day, the Dalai Lama visited Mongolia. They, China closed the border, and I saw that on the Internet, so I don't know what the outcome of that was. When, 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 when the Norwegians wanted to give that Nobel Prize to that, um, that dissident of theirs, they threatened to impose sanctions on Norway. So I think it is time that the free world stood up to the Chinese, and China is not as stable as everybody makes it out to be. It's, got, it's, it's big flaw is that it is a totalitarian state that cannot survive in the 21st century. China will survive, but not the government, not the communist government. It cannot survive. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much, uh, James and Nelspreet. And uh, let's just take one more before we go to news, and then we'll come back and answer those questions after the news break. Uh, Bishop Gwenene in Port Elizabeth, good yes, morning. Yes, happy new year. And to you. <laughs> you know, you know, Sakina, I'm going to take, take the three things. The first thing, when the, the, the democracy in 1984, when there's a democracy, most textile factories closed because China's imported funk clothes here in South Africa. Most of the people who have been uh, using who have factories in Utney because of Chinese Hong Kong. Secondly, South Africa is telling the world that he is weak and secondly is that he can be manipulated by money. My money, it was, what is happening now is that because of the investment of China, because China is so, has, has bought South Africa. Now, when you say jump, we jump. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. And thank you so much for tuning in uh, this morning. And we're talking about the One China policy and uh, trying to get some clarity on this, trying to understand exactly what the mayor of Tswane did wrong and uh, which uh, provisions of uh, diplomatic practice he violated. And our guest this morning, Professor Garth Lepierre, uh, extraordinary professor at the University of Pretoria, and Professor J- John Stremlau from the Department of Ina- International Relations at Wits University. So, Many questions, but let me just take uh, Sig and Bonagela before we answer them because they've been holding. Bonagela, welcome. Thanks, Fatina. Uh, and uh, look, there's one thing that I want to say. With Mike in Newland and the other gentleman calling from Mpata in the Eastern Cape, was he calling from Mpata in the Eastern Cape? You're talking about Colani. 
Yeah, that's correct. They've said something that I was going to say. You know, ANC-led government is contradicting themselves. This is actually... I mean, if you're going to rely on this one China country, to me, it doesn't make any sense, so to speak. Because we need to, to have a relationship with other countries as well. Because with this mayor of Tswane going to Taiwan to get investors, so as to create jobs for people of this country, to me, I mean, that's a, that was a very good thing. So for them to rely on one country, that is China, it absolutely doesn't make any sense to me. So absolute, I, I, I disagree. So with that guy, I mean, the, the mayor of China going to Taiwan, it's, I, I, it's a big, big thank you to me. We need people such as those. It's some kind of leadership skills that I was always talking about, that we, I, I always talk about when I'm always um, talking on talk shows. We need people with such skills. Because he is really interested to go there so that the people of this country or of other countries can come and invest. Not only this one China policy. We cannot rely on one China yet. I'm not interested at all. Okay. So they must stop doing this. They must stop politicizing things. When, when these people are going, uh, these countries are going, I mean, Taiwan is going to create jobs for other people as well. You can hear what the people are crying here. People are jobless. You, I'm, I'm, I'm angry as I'm speaking to you. I can hear you, that. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, Bonagele in Cape Town. Take a breath. Uh, drink a glass of water. Sigin Ranberg, good morning. Uh, hello, Sakina. Thank you very much, Sakina. Uh, I, 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 I hold the view that, that um, uh, minorities should be accorded full human rights under democracy. And, and, and I think that's what we stand for in terms of our constitution as well. Hello? We're listening, Sig. And, 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 and that kind of democracy should be accorded to, uh, uh, to Taiwan as well as to the uh, DA mayor of, of Chuane. Uh, they both deserve the rights of democracy. And, and, and yes, let's hear if that isn't their right to, to engage in, in, in relations with anybody else because <clears throat> freedom of communication is another major principle of democ- democracy. And none, neither the DA nor Taiwan should be bullied around by Chinese brutes and 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 ANC uh, brutes in, in in Johannesburg either. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Sig. So uh, very interesting questions arising there, and uh, let's look at the ones uh, that were raised last, especially around uh, China, the One China policy, and how that impacts on relationships with other countries in the region, especially given um, China's economic and military uh, power and the advances that we are seeing there. Uh, you look at the territorial claims in the South China Sea and elsewhere, and how China is just moving ahead in that particular region. And what sort of challenge does that pose then for us, Professor Lapierre? Well, you know what? I think, you know, some context is needed here uh, along two dimensions. The one is that, um, you know, South Africa's traditional trading partners, the European Union and and the United States, uh, there's been a shift in the dynamics of trade uh, in, in the sense that, um, South Africa has lost uh, significant market access in the European Union because of a range of technical and structural impediments which the EU has built into our trade agreement with the European Union, our so-called TDCA, Trade Development Cooperation Agreement, to, to the extent that that relationship is extremely asymmetric. The second is our relationship with the United States through the African Growth and Opportunity Act. Now, that is, that is not a, a trade agreement per se. It is simply a generalized system of preferences. And South Africa is a major beneficiary, probably the major beneficiary in Africa of the 40-odd African countries that participate in AGOA. We almost lost our benefits uh, last year because of a major controversy uh, around de facto dumping of American chicken uh, onto our domestic market, thereby threatening uh, local industry. Uh, That was somehow resolved. 
then you, you know, enter the China dimension uh, before and after the financial crisis. China has become a major player in our economic life, as I indicated, mm-hmm. uh, to the extent that it is now the major investor. It has uh, significant uh, commercial, industrial, as well as financial presence. Uh, the, the, uh, there is a mechanism called the China-Africa Development Fund, which is located in South Africa. And, and China very much sees South Africa as sort of a bridgehead uh, into its into its general relationship with with, with the uh, with the African continent, and that takes takes place on the institutional platform called the Forum for China Africa Cooperation, which John referred to, and South Africa is very much seen as a very strategic vector in uh, elab- in, in 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 enhancing and elaborating. Uh, commercial trade, political, and diplomatic relations between China and Africa. This is why, uh, for good or bad, uh, China's presence on the South African and the African landscape is quite a muscular one compared now to the European Union and the United States. That is why, you know, this is where these sensitivities now come in because the role that China plays in our economy. And in many ways, you know, uh, to the extent that there is still buoyancy in this uh, economy of, of South Africa, China certainly can claim, you know, some credit for providing that buoyancy, you know, in a general environment of, of a rather depressed outlook. Uh, so, so I think, you know, that is the first con- context. The second context, you know, relates to how China conducts its, its diplomacy. And that is on the principle of non-intervention and non-interference. So, you know, the essential calculus of diplomacy, Chinese diplomacy, is that it will provide assistance, aid, and develop a relationship uh, on the basis of this mutual respect, uh, which is unlike the kind of shibboleths that are built into the, con- you know, the, the sort of conditional relationships that both South Africa and African countries have with the European Union and the United States. And I think this is where the power of attraction of what China brings to the table uh, is, 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 uh, uh, is, 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 is much more consequential uh, in recent times than mm-hmm. what you know, historically has obtained uh, between Africa, South Africa, uh, European Union and the United States. And, and, and this is what the listeners are questioning, uh, whether we should uh, be allowing China to dictate how we actually engage with other uh, powers in the region yeah. and whether it wouldn't be more beneficial to have, you know, multiple engagements as such that are not necessarily dictated by China. But you see, uh, Sakina, you know, diplomacy is, is, is very much a two-way street, and China has strategic uh, national interests that it will pursue uh, according to the principles of self-interest and real politic. And it's really for South Africa, and I think South Africa is now advancing the argument that it cannot sustain commercial trade and political relations with China uh, in a manner that sort of replicates the old sort of neo-colonial orthodoxy, right, mm. where South Africa essentially exports natural resources, minerals, etc., uh, to China. That is, the, uh, that constitutes the bulk of our export basket, and then in turn, uh, China sends manufactured goods, uh, some of variable quality, uh, to South Africa, and the trade therefore remains uh, imbalanced. As a matter of fact, President Becky raised this issue and I think so did uh, President Zuma. But it's very much up to the two partners to find a way to redress these imbalances. And, you know, uh, trade, trade is very, uh, it's a neo-mercantilist practice. You know, you get out of trade what is good for your country. It's, 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 not, it's not about enhancing welfare or uh, promoting welfare gains uh, except for yourself. Mm. And, um, you know, some would say you can actually see it in South Africa's posture. The overtures uh, would seem, you know, um, to point towards a geopolitical turn that faces towards China at this point, uh, Professor Stremlau. Well, China is an important partner, and its its role in Africa is one of the great post-independent stories, and it's a very positive 
story overall in my mind, but it's not a simple story. And I think the fact that the Chinese were willing to come to South Africa, Xi Jinping came to South Africa for that FOCAC meeting that uh, Garth and I referred to earlier, and pledged $60 billion, which is a lot of money, but not a lot of money in the Chinese economic side of things. But for Africa, that $60 billion pledge was important to show that despite the slowdown in the Chinese economy, which means that demand for the primary commodities that Africa exports is going to fall and has fallen, and indeed in terms of South Africa, recognizing its potential importance as the bridge into Africa, he committed $6 billion in, in projects that President Zuma is very proud of and should be. They're important projects. I don't know what their status is now. We ought to be tracking those. It's part of the complexity of this relationship. But nevertheless, it was a signal that China takes South Africa with its very different political system very seriously. Then the question becomes, does South Africa become, and some of your listeners were asking about this, a, a client or a dependee of, of China? No. South Africa has to cut its own path. South Africa should not take on issues, by the way, Sakina, in the South China Sea. But Taiwan is a special case because Taiwan and, China, and, and South Africa had historic relations. Indeed, bad from the ANC standpoint and my standpoint, that Taiwan was allied with, with the apartheid regime. And yet Mandela worked his way through this and maintained a relationship, a commercial relationship with Taiwan. And by the way, the AGO agreement that was such a problem in that chicken issue came, up, came into problems with American domestic politics and congressmen who had chicken producers in their constituencies. And that fight just shows again how complex these special relationships, which are favorable overall to Africa, the AGO is positive. But it's positive in a peculiar way in Southern Africa because my blue jeans are made in Lesotho because Lesotho has Chinese and Taiwanese companies producing with cheap labor in Lesotho. Biggest employer in Lesotho is is the textile industry. It's basically Chinese, Taiwanese, and Chinese side by side working. And there's a big issue of whether or not they're allowing enough Lesotho management. Are they allowing enough indigenization? Are they just using the cheap labor? Are we just an exporter of materials? Do we get a possibility to train our own people so we can get to be part more uh, on an equal footing of the industrialized, globalized world? And so these issues that Garth's alluding to have to be negotiated out very carefully and painfully, but they are not just mercantilist or geostrategic. They are basically political. And I just think that if South Africa could show its demonstrated leadership in Africa as it was doing in the creation of the African Union and as it was doing with the PAD, so that then the Chinese know that Africa is being led by a country that is a credit to the continent and looking for uh, a wider voice for Africa in the world, that would have a positive impact on the U.S., on the Chinese, uh, U.S.-South African relationship and the Chinese-South uh, uh, African relationship and the European uh, South African relationship. So I guess I, I'm glad that the questioners ask so many diverse questions. I do think it comes down to employment, jobs, growth, and development, but I think it's Africa's, uh, uh, the theater in which uh, South Africa's first and foremost concern is, and China becomes part of that, and it should be dealt with as uh, a forthright partner, but not one uh, in an asymmetrical way, even though China is a much bigger economy. And then a more direct question. Uh, Anonymous asked this question. King Shaga is asking it again on Twitter. Is China our new colonizer? No, I don't think so. That's uh, an oversimplification. Uh, China is, uh, does indeed interfere in the internal affairs of member states, just like any other major power does, and there's evidence of that using social media and controls as well. We just have to expect that they are going to um, look for their advantages but that we can have a, a forthright partnership with China. We are a smaller country, a smaller economy, but within Africa we are the bridge. We have a strategic attribute. We are members of BRIC. Uh, therefore, uh, I, I think we can, we can stand toe-to-toe with the Chinese and not be uh, pushed around too much. At the same time, we have to acknowledge that they are going to expect quid pro quos, and we have to decide whether we want to pay those quid pro quos.
Professor Lepierre, um, James was talking about uh, the totalitarian state and, um, you know, what his observations were, which brings us back to that question. I mean, there's no doubt at this point that China is powerful and uh, it is increasingly more assertive. So what is your take on what James's observations were in that region? Look, you know, I, I think uh, John, John referred to, you know, China going through a post-communist phase, and I think that is correct. Because I think, you know, the, the, the philosophy of the Chinese state is to move away from the sort of uh, ideological egalitarianism, you know, that characterized the Mao era, to a much more pragmatic uh, kind of outlook, both in domestic and foreign policy. But that, that does not then detract, you know, from the vanguardist role of the Chinese Communist Party. In China, the, the, the role of the state and the role of the party are, are totally interlinked. And the legitimacy of the party then has a direct impact on the legitimacy of the state. And this is where I think there are increasing centrifugal forces that are playing out in the Chinese domestic polity, uh, where the center of gravity that is being held, that, that the CCP holds the Chinese state and uh, society to, uh, together, uh, is increasingly being challenged. Uh, it is eroded by, uh, you know, ethno-nationalist forces. It is being eroded by an increasingly assertive uh, middle, uh, Chinese middle class, uh, you know, uh, a new consumer culture that is playing itself out. It is being eroded by uh, an increasing number of Chinese who are migrating from east to west, uh, growing demands for welfare that uh, the, the, the state cannot meet, and so on. So, so the entire infrastructure of the Chinese state is being challenged from within. And it remains to be seen the extent to which the, uh, the vanguardist role of the CCP can be maintained uh, in the face of all these tensions. That's number one. Number two is how China then maintains a, uh, an international profile that accords with um, a, a country that is becoming a global power. Uh, to use, or, or to use uh, uh, Hu Jintao's phrase, uh, a China that is rising peacefully, uh, but that nevertheless wants to play a, a major role in the high politics of war and peace. So there are these two dialectical tensions that are playing itself out, and, 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 and you know, in this broad uh, sort of tension between China's role at home and its, and its role on the global stage, uh, Africa features very prominently. It features very prominently in the sense that, uh, you know, more than, what is it, 52 countries at last count have official bilateral relations with China. And, and, and China very, very much views Africa as a major geopolitical, geostrategic uh, asset, not only in trade and development terms, uh, but also geopolitically and geostrategically. Well, let's take a few more calls. Uh, David in Pretoria, good morning. Hello, good morning, uh, Sakina. Uh, thank you for taking my views. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to say that kind of the, the discussion today uh, in terms of viewers uh, j- just shows, I think, that we need to know more about the role of China, both historically uh, in South Africa and, and also the, the data, the evidence that we have, the economic relationship, because I think most of the audience seems to be ignorant of the historical role that China played in the anti-apartheid struggle uh, compared to Taiwan. And uh, it's very sad that after 20 years that that memory seems to be fading. And in fact, some of your callers seem to have that apartheid anti-communist kind of propaganda using this media. So I just want to set that first, very, very important. The second thing is I think we need to be very careful in the way how we articulate the role of China because, you know, we need to have evidence to show China has been, with all the contradictions, like one of your panel was saying, that countries get involved in international relationship, in international economics, because there's always national interest. That is that's natural. That has always been there. So we need to take that for granted. But taking that for granted, looking at the context of the role of China versus the West in Africa has been totally imbalanced. The, the West has always dictated the uh, political dictate in, in, in this continent and other continents also. China doesn't do that. So I think there is no nuisance in the discussion, and I think a whole lot of colors 
I guess had two. One, uh, one section of the callers do not know exactly what's happening, but the other section of your callers have this anti-communist apartheid uh, propaganda, and they're using this media to just project that on China. Thank you. Well, David, everybody's free to raise their views, as are you. And uh, as we indicated at the very start, people have asked for this discussion because they've indicated that they want to learn more about what is going on here. And as evidenced here by this tweet from Edward Timber, says, I didn't know that Taiwan supported our apartheid government. Things are starting to make sense to me. Thank you for a new lesson. And that was exactly what this morning was about. Uh, Salim in uh, Durban, good morning. Good morning, Sakina. I think you've got a very interesting topic. What I must point out is that, you know, the DA is there to embarrass and ridicule this government. We have a policy. The government has a policy, and the DA is part of government. But they do things to work against the grain of the government so that we look bad. If you look at it, if we lose our trade with China, We'll never be able to, our economy will suffer. Taiwan won't be able to help us. They won't be able to help us. So I think it's just a, 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 a move by the DA to embarrass us. Okay, thanks. Thank Salim in Durban. Sebastian in Cape Town, good morning. Good morning and Happy New Year to you. And to you. Um, just looking at one China and human rights, one should never forget the invasion of Tibet and the suppression of the uh, Tibetan people and the eradication of their culture. Uh, on economics, I think we need to have a much more critical examination of the uh, economic ties with China. Uh, China is punted as our major, one of our major trading partners, but what is more often than not glossed over is that it's a one-way street with a massive trade imbalance in China's favor. And while trade, trade with China may have benefited a minority in South Africa who own uh, the mines which supply the minerals to China, uh, at the same time we've had massive job losses to China uh, uh, Things that we previously manufactured ourselves are now imported from China. And just uh, listening to your program and the next one uh, from 9 o'clock over, over the years and what people have said on it, it seems I've gained the impression that China has uh, established a massive distribution network for their exports throughout South Africa, uh, which is just part of this whole scenario. Um, so what I'm saying is we need to look much more critically uh, at what is going on and what this relationship actually is. Thank you so much, Sebastian, in Cape Town. Um, Professor Stremler, let me start with you if you'd like to jump in there and just respond uh, to some of the comments there. Uh, Salim saying, you know, the DA is basically just out to embarrass government uh, through this act. And, and it brings us out, uh, back to where we started and the question of, what exactly went wrong here? Well, I'd like to say that I do think the issue has been in the in a specific exaggerated, but your producer who called me and said this would be a lively discussion was certainly right, and I was more skeptical. So I want to uh, acknowledge that, Sakina. And I also want to add one important point about we have not discussed in this, where China and South Africa are natural allies and important allies in climate change. China recognizes the threat that global warming, and it's taking plans to mitigate, and it did so with Obama's United States. But Trump is going to be a threat to climate change, and it impacts on southern Africa much more seriously than in the rest of the world. It's twice the global mean, the global warming. And we should be working as closely as we can with the Chinese to positive advantage for both countries and for the world on climate change and global warming affecting our region. And that's speaks to the complex complexity of the Chinese-South African relationship and the fact, again, to repeat, that it really should be for South Africa to provide China with a better understanding of the continental dynamics and bridge building that can go on here. But to do that, we have to reassert ourselves again more intelligently and aggressively as, uh, or, or, or friendly and positively as a as a partner for, for uh, a new partnership for Africa's development. And, and I think that the, the, the concerns that people have about China dominating South Africa uh, are worth taking into account, but not uh, uh, to the extent that we become uh, afraid. And I think the ANC was probably reacting too much in a partisan way 
to the DA thumbing its nose at the ANC by sending the mayor of Swanee to this to this uh, this trip. But if it does net jobs for South Africa, I'm a happy guy. So let's just have a quick fire round of questions here and 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 try to bottom line the answers uh, that listeners are still sending. Um, was this a government visit, and was it an official one by Mduduzi, uh, Professor Lepier? Well, you know, uh, Salim Zimanga is is the elected uh, executive mayor of Tswane. And, you know, uh, to the extent that he holds that status, it is an official visit. He, 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 as a matter of fact, as I understand it, he was invited by his counterpart in Taipei. That means that, you know, it is, it is an official uh, visit of, of, of one mayor to another mayor, uh, granted for the, for the purpose of enhancing economic ties. But I still remain, I, I, I remain fixed to my position that, you know, it has to follow what is the official policy of the government. So I think where the government uh, and the ANC uh, needs to focus a little more attention is clarifying. You need, so you need more clarification uh, on what exactly uh, are the intergovernmental intergovern- intergovern- parameters that would govern this kind of, 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 of visit. In other words, you know, to what extent, uh, what sort of flexibility, flexibility or latitude do, have, do provincial and local government structures have in conducting uh, a foreign policy that departs from the official position. I think this is where the dilemma is, Mm. and this is where uh, you need greater uh, clarification, not after the fact, uh, but rather, you know, uh, an enhanced uh, form of dialogue where new mayors, such as as Solim Zimanga and others, uh, get a proper induction into what are the essential parameters of our foreign policy and official positions. Uh, Even though you belong to the opposition party, you do do, uh, ultimately uh, owe allegiance to a a country's official policy, as is the case here. And uh, just a very quick one um, from Kerry Barton, then. How does this differ, then, from uh, the Honorable Rob Davis's visit to Taiwan? Well, it, 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 it doesn't... Uh, where it does differ is that Rob Davies is a minister of a department. And it is recognized, right, that both countries have representative offices. South Africa has a representative office since uh, relations were downgraded, uh, as, as does, does Taiwan. Uh, after, after relations were downgraded in 1998, uh, economic ties continued. And it is, the, it is the context of the economic ties that sort of frames the relationship. And I think if it's conducted within, with, within that latter and spirit, uh, under official auspices, then, you know, it makes sense. Now, you know, Rob Davies obviously uh, seeks to maintain uh, the, the economic relationship because uh, prior to 1998, uh, Taiwan was a major player, a major investor in the South African economy, uh, creating, you know, thousands and thousands of jobs. So I think there is a pragmatic imperative there.